just got off the phone with a friend and a co-laborer in ministry and particularly in the global work of planting the church and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And my heart is moved and heavy, and I want to share some of those thoughts with you while they're raw and fresh. So thanks for joining me. Welcome to No Sanity Required, from the Ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. So I wonder if you've got a really close friend. I mean, if you've got uh, a friend who they know you better than sometimes you know yourself. That friend might be a spouse. It might be uh, a lifelong friend. It could be someone you hadn't known that long, but man, you just mesh and clicked and your, your spirits and souls are kind of knit together. Uh, that's, that's a good thing. That's, that's something that's very unique. It's a treasure. It's something that a lot of people go through life and never have. And for most of us, uh, the person we spend the most time with is our spouse. Um, those of us that are married, but some of us, a lot of our listeners are not married. A lot of people are, are young and single or maybe have just never married or maybe you're divorced and find yourself um, alone in a season of life. I have a very little and I have a really close friend. She's uh, she's recently gone through a divorce and we love her dearly. She's like family. She's part of our church family and she's alone. And uh, but But her faith is strong. And so maybe you find yourself in a situation like that, but most of us have, have at least one relationship that's sort of different from all other relationships. You know, when you're a kid, you called it your best friend. I remember recently I was looking through a, a book that my mom had put together. It was one of these little books as you're growing up. It's like at the beginning of kindergarten, some facts about your kindergarten or at the end of kindergarten, maybe facts about kindergarten, then first grade, then second grade. And it was like, you know, second grade, best friend. There's a kid named Greg. I don't remember Greg's last name, but I remember Greg was redheaded. We were best buddies in second grade, and then that was it. We we weren't in the same class the next two or three grades, and and I remember going to Greg's house and playing in in the dirt. His dad was an excavator, and he had several big piles of dirt, and we took our Hot Wheels trucks and built tracks, and you know had mud bogs, and we had a fun time. Yeah, our seven eight year old selves, and uh, I can remember that. But then. Um, we, you know, went all the way through the rest of elementary school, middle school, high school. I never hung out with Greg again, but he was my best friend, you know, in second grade, the best. I remember in high school, this is funny. You get a kick out of this in high school. I remember, um, making blood brother packs with several guys where we would cut our hands and like the natives would do. And then you, you grab lock hands and you mix blood and then your blood brothers. And I remember, um, it was like, let's do it right. Let's really, let's, let's cut ourselves good, you know? And then we thought, you know, I've seen people pin prick and do it. No, I don't want to pin prick. Let's, let's be manly about this. And so, but I don't want to cut my palm because I need my palm for playing sports. So we cut on the back side of our middle knuckle, uh, cut it where it was bleeding real good and then slap backside of our hands together. I did that with a couple different buddies. <laughs> I remember one of them, Larry Robertson, we played, we played ball together. Larry was seven feet tall. He was like six eleven and a half, but he wore cowboy boots. We called him the L train. And I remember 
sitting around a campfire one night and cutting our hands and you know rubbing the blood together. We're we're, we're partners. We're we're partners in life for thick and through thick and thin. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to I'm going to walk. You know I'm going to be at the front of the church with you when you get married. I'm going to walk through your your life with you like when you have kids and when you you know whatever like like we're going to be the next fifty years inseparable. And uh, it was funny because he's a good dude. I love him to death. If I saw him today, we'd pick right up and, and be friends. I hadn't had a conversation with Larry in probably 20 years, maybe 15 years. I think he came, I think he might have come uh, to uh, my dad's funeral, which was about 15 years ago, 13 years ago, 14, something like that. So, but we were, we were blood brothers, you know, and, uh, and I did that with several buddies. And, and I remember, there was a Bon Jovi song in the eighties and there was this, and it was, it was called blood on blood. And some of you might remember that. And it said, if, um, basically like, no matter what, I'm going to be right by your side. It's like, you know, we're bros, we're buddies, we're, we're brothers for life. And, uh, had a couple of friends, a guy named Phil McDowell and Phil and I were really good friends. And, uh, and then when I got when I left home, and then I was um, dating little, and then we were engaged. Phil was around some still, and and then we just drifted apart. You know, life takes you in a different direction. I saw Phil recently. I ran into him at a sportsman's warehouse in Asheville, North Carolina, and we knew each other instantly. hadn't seen each other in twenty five years, uh, longer than that. I've been married twenty six, going on twenty seven, so I hadn't seen Phil in probably close to thirty years. And like, bam! When I recognize him, he recognizes me. Well. We've, I didn't, I don't know anything about his life. You know, I'm not on social media, so I don't know anything about his life. And we caught up a little bit and it's just funny. Cause I remember thinking, man, we're, we're together for life, you know? And, but there are those friendships that, that I, I have some very, very close friendships, um, you know, uh, that, that I'm thankful for, um, guys that I know I can call and talk to about anything. And, um, uh, we, we've done life together. We've watched each other's kids grow up and, close brotherhood relationships you know and then little and i you know you you want your spouse to be your closest friend and little's the person that man i like gosh she's the only person that knows me at the level she knows me at you know like she has seen me in every circumstance and situation in life we've walked through it together she's seen me weep she's seen me lose my faith she's seen me uh, turn my back on the Lord and, and, and walk into rebellion. She's seen me fall and like, she's seen me, um, early in my ministry, um, like, like walk off the ledge, uh, and, and, and make mistakes where I fell back into worldly things. She saw me, she's seen me do things that I had to repent before the Lord and to her not, I'm not talking about like unfaithfulness in marriage. I'm talking about more things that were, just just steps of spiritual immaturity and selfishness that nobody else knew happened. I remember getting intoxicated um, early in ministry and 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 being so broken and sorry over that. And she just walked, you know, I walked through that with me. And uh, so that that kind of relationship is so good. And I want to I want to key in on one part of that relationship that's so good. And then I want to share about this conversation I just had with this friend who's more like. I mean, I don't know this guy real good, but we're just kind of like-minded, and the Lord's given us an accelerated depth of relationship, I think. And, um, and, and, but he's a missionary. He's a church planner. He's in a tough place, and it's like 
he's alone there. Him and his family, him and his wife and kids, they're isolated. They don't have strong partnerships in country. They've got a lot of strong young converts that they're discipling. But man, he's hit a wall in ministry and he's at a bad place and and he's just struggling, like struggling a little bit, you know, like <clears throat> just having a hard time and and he's gone through something. I want to share that with you and kind of and, and share some thoughts coming out of that conversation with him. But it's caused me to reflect and be introspective and think about are there relationships that I've invested in? And so I want to I want to look over the next just few minutes at the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what the Scripture teaches about teaches us about the friendship of Christ, how Jesus is a friend, how he's closer than a brother, how he's an advocate, how he's. His spirit is the helper, the comforter, the, the, the counselor, the companion. Those, these are all words that are translated to describe the relationship we have with God. So if we can see Jesus in that way and appreciate him for that, that aspect of who he is, I think it helps us not feel alone or not feel discouraged at times where otherwise we might. So having a conversation with his friend, and he comes out of a similar background to many of us. He comes out of a background where um, the, the church affiliation he was a part of is, is called Independent Fundamental, Independent Fundamental Baptist, IFB. And there's some good people in that world that love the Lord, but that world tends to be hard to keep up with when you live in it because there are a, it's very heavy on like um, sort of like expectations and requirements of things like how you're supposed to dress, the type of music you're supposed to listen to. There tend to be a lot of like unique to that denomination or that affiliation, unique rules that they sort of live by. And so, uh, and for me, it exasperated me as a young Christian and I kind of rebelled against it and, and, uh, and, and pushed away from it. But uh, this guy, he he's grown up in it and then has gone to the mission field. And one of the things that tends to be difficult in that world is understanding the, a, the a biblical concept of grace, that grace has a backbone, it has a spine, it's courageous, but it's also soft and gentle and compassionate. And so a lot of us come from that world where we have a skewed view of grace, where we don't see the gentle side of it. It's just, and so we think, we tend to think more of uh, see God in a more heavy handed way. And our Christianity tends to be more heavy handed. And so when people are down or discouraged or they've messed up, it's easier to sort of be judgmental or aggressive towards them. And, and then maybe some people come from a, a gentler side. Like I know a friend um, that little and I love dearly, a uh, husband and wife, actually couple. And the wife comes from, um, she's a newer Christian. She came from a non-Christian family and uh, when she became a Christian, she really was drawn to the gentler side of who Jesus is. And there have been times where she had to really wrestle in her mind with understanding what a fear of the Lord looks like because she just sees him more as a best friend. And and it's easy to kind of go down that path a little too far where you forget that he's Lord and God. And so that balance of what is it that Jesus is my closest friend and yet he demands and commands my worship and obedience. Where Where's the tension? Where's the balance? And so talking to my buddy and I'll tell you the story that happened is he's been, uh, he's been, uh, he planted a church in a, in somewhere in East Asia. I won't say where, but he's, he's in, he's in uh, Southeast Asia. I think it would be, I don't, know, I don't know my Asian geography, but I know it's in Asia and, um, and, and a beautiful part of the world and, uh, beautiful people. Buddhism is the, is the religion that is, that is dominant and predominant. 
And so uh, five years ago, he goes there, learns the language. Within six months, this guy's crazy. Within six months, he was preaching at the church. He's preaching in the native tongue, in the language. And, uh, and it's a hard language to learn. And so he's got a wife and some kids, and they're living there. And they're doing church work to plant among unreached. And God's growing it and blessing it. And there's 25 or 30 people now. They've baptized and assimilated into that local body. And he's got a cool jail ministry. And he's finally got this this one indigenous guy, local guy, that he's been really investing in to raise up and train up. And that guy has um, has shown a lot of promise. He's, he's put him in the pulpit and had him preach uh, a few Sundays ago. And this past weekend, they had a uh, some sort of in this, or maybe it's a couple weeks ago. It's it's been within the last month. I don't know exactly when this happened, but they've had like a national holiday um, where uh, I guess there's like parades and celebrations. I don't know what the holiday is. It'd probably be something like our Fourth of July or Labor Day. I don't know. But anyway, there's a big big parade thing. And anyway, this guy goes out. This young man, this twenty twenty one year old dude that he's training up and um and and uh and he gets drunk he gets intoxicated and he gets real drunk and like wakes up doesn't know where he's at kind of thing and and he's living with these guys in the church that they've got a storefront on a little street in this city the downstairs is the church the upstairs is um, a little apartment and office and this young man is living there and so they're really invested in him and it's a shame culture. It's a shame and honor culture. So this guy wouldn't come around, man. He just ran. He got on a he got on a bus and rode twelve hours to the southern tip of the country, just like a prodigal son kind of thing. Like I can't go back. I've ruined it. And so walking through with my buddy, what it's like, you know, how how when you're in that situation as a mentor, leader, or discipler, you feel hurt for this guy. You don't feel betrayed by him. You're not mad at him. You're just hurt for him, you know, like you you feel the weight of his sin because you're knit together soul and spirit with this guy. You've poured your life into him. So when he falls, you feel the gravity of that. And then on the other side, this guy who's fallen, he he's feeling more like self-condemnation. And then he takes that self-guilt and shame and condemnation and he assumes like he lets that build a wall between him and the one man that could probably help walk him through this. And so this wall of separation goes up. And so we're talking about how do you work through that? How do I reach out to this guy that won't won't let me reach out to him? And how much space do I give him? Let the Lord work and bring him back. And and the good thing is if he's a true believer, the Holy Spirit's going to work in him and draw him back. And there's going to be restoration. And 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 to, to sort of complicate things, this church planner, this friend of mine, He's struggling because they're supposed to be home on furlough right now, but they're locked down because of COVID. So they've had to skip their three or four month break. They were going to come home to visit family, be here for the holidays. So their 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 tanks just empty after five years of grinding it out in a foreign field. Um, they've had one or two short breaks, but in in the last couple of years they've been there. They've lost some family members back home. They couldn't come for the funerals. They've it's just they just they need a break. They're they're kind of at their end. It's just a tough time, and and so I realized when talking to my brother and friend, man, he's being encouraged by our relationship. He can now, and he's he wants to encourage this young brother, and there's this unique thing that happens in the family of God, in the body of Christ, where we feel for each other. We love each other with a depth of love. We feel this bond to one another where when my brother or sister falls, I don't get angry, mad. I don't want to push them down like I feel 
feel the weight of their shame and guilt and brokenness and sin. And I want to talk for the last few minutes here about theologically what's going on, biblically what's going on. So in the Bible, the scripture says Jesus in, in the uh, what's called the upper room discourse. And you can read about that in John 14 through I think 16, but it's in John's gospel. He walks through like this long conversation Jesus has with his disciples. And if you, if you read in John's letter, John's uh, gospel, you know, in the Bible, like some Bibles have the letters are read when Jesus is talking. And some Bibles are not, but some are. And if you've got a red letter edition of scripture, like this all just red, it's just a sea of red, red after red after red, very little words from the disciples. And so Jesus is teaching and sharing in John 16. He says, um, he says this, nevertheless, I tell you that the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So the word helper is a reference to the Holy spirit. So Jesus is going to give us his spirit. Now, let me let me walk you through some some things here that I think are really insightful in terms of wording. So the word helper there is from a, a Greek word parakletos. Parakletos. You might have heard of this. The paraclete or the paraclete. Uh, parakletos is the word that's translated helper. Okay. So the idea is that the Spirit of God is helping us in our Christian life, but. That it's not just that he's helping us. Like when we really study the new scripture, the New Testament scripture, it's not just that he's helping us in the sense that he's helping guide us. It's that he helps us in our weakness. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, "Jesus, we do not have we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness." but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. So he's able to identify with, sympathize with. What does this mean? It means that when you sin, when you fail, when you fall, and I'm talking particularly about when you fall and you feel the weight of your sin, you feel guilt and shame, you look, you went back to that pornographic image. You took that, that drug or that drink. Uh, you, you had uh, an attitude of like you were mean to the people that you should be kind to, you know, like whatever. And you're feeling guilty, self guilt and condemnation, um, that the Holy spirit sympathize, feels that like literally like the heart of God is that he feels that in us. He feels, uh, when I say feel I'm F E E L my accent. I try to enunciate when I'm speaking, but, uh, not F I L L it feel, he feels like the, the weight of our shame and our guilt. Jesus feels that. And so we've got this really powerful picture that we are linked to God and the Holy Spirit is in us feeling the weight of our sin. Okay, now watch this. This is cool. And and uh, later, the same guy, John, is right. And this is really cool. And he writes that if anyone sins, he has an advocate with the Father. An advocate with the Father. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means... It's the same word, parakletos. So now he's talking about through Jesus, we have advocacy before God. Now, we know that Jesus is our advocate. Now, I want to I want to think about this for a second, this idea of being an advocate, because the Scripture teaches that G- Jesus intercedes for us as our high priest. But here, there's, there's a little bit of a different idea. I think it was John Bunyan the, the, that talked about how... Uh, 
Jesus as our intercessor stands before God on our behalf in sort of this legal sense. Because John will also say Jesus is our propitiation. In other words, he stands before God, represents us, has borne the wrath of God in our place. And so it's a more legal thing, like like standing like an attorney would stand in your place before a judge, sort of, kind of. That falls short, but sort of like that. Like it's advocacy in that sense, or it's intercession in that sense. He's interceding before the Father. But this word that's translated advocate, that in Christ, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus goes before us and comes behind us and is with us, advocating for us, helping us. It's the same word, parakletos. So we have a helper, the Holy Spirit. We have an advocate, Jesus, who feels the weight of our sin, goes before the Father, and is and is before God, not just interceding for us, but advocating for us as you would for a friend as you would for a friend. So in other words, um, let's imagine your friend has fallen, your son, your daughter, your spouse has fallen and is discouraged and is shameful. And you want to pick them up and help them feel release and relief from the weight of their sin. You want that for them so bad, man, you want it so bad. You've got a son who can't kick his habit and you've tried to help him and he falls and you feel so heavy in your heart for him and you just want him to have victory. You don't feel judgment and condemnation. Jesus says in Romans 8, one, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. When Jesus looks at you and your sin, he doesn't feel like condemnatory towards you. He feels the weight of your sin and wants to pick you up and advocate for you and help you. It's beautiful. And so that word parakletos is I think there's about five different times it's used and translated different ways, but it means helper, advocate, comforter, companion. Jesus is our comforter, our companion. He's given us his spirit so that he's always with us. And that's what I wanted my friend to feel, but that's also what I wanted him to be able to share with this young man who's dealing with guilt and shame right now. To realize that in Christ we have an advocate who feels for us and hurts for us and sympathizes with us in our weakness, that should be very encouraging for us because Jesus then also in another passage says, I'm yoked with you so that you, the weight of your burden will be lighter. I'll carry, I'll do the heavy lifting. It's a beautiful picture. Doesn't mean that Jesus isn't going to, that there won't be chastening and, and consequences to sin sometimes. Sometimes there's consequences to our sin, but even with those consequences, Jesus advocates for us. It's it's like a loving parent or employ or, or employer who has to deal with something in in the life of somebody he loves. Man, I gotta deal with that. You've been late five times because you keep you keep um sleeping in because you're not managing your time wisely. I love you. I'm for you. I want to help you. You're my friend. But I've got there have to be consequences. You're taking a, a demotion or a cut in pay or whatever. Maybe as hard as I gotta let you go. I had this happen at, at Snowbird more than once where I had to let somebody go and they lose their job, but man, you're like, I'm praying and hoping that you're gonna recover from this and be better. Never forget learning this lesson real firsthand. A, a young lady that lived with Little and I for several years, she was literally like a nanny to our kids. I mean, she went on family vacations with us and she was super involved at Snowbird and she had a real kind of a rough background before she came to Jesus around age 19 and then 19 or 20. And then she, she came the next year and worked at Snowbird, ended up staying about 10 years. And, uh, I think 10 years and I, 
I had the joy and privilege of doing her wedding and uh, just love her dearly. And I remember there was a, a point about four or five years into her time here, probably four years in, and she just she hit kind of a low spot spiritually. And I remember she she left one weekend and spent a few days away. And unbeknownst to us, she went and fell in with some old friends. And man, she, she they were they were boozing it up and and being promiscuous and just made some bad choices. And, and within a few days, man, the weight of her guilt, you could see it on her. We sat her down on our, on our couch and said, what's wrong? What is going on? We see it in your eyes. We know you're not where you need to be. You're not healthy and happy. What's going on? And she began to share with us the decision she had made that made that previous weekend. And I remember feeling, I don't know if you ever had this happen. I felt literally the weight of her sin kind of like like in a way that I hurt for her and little hurt for her and we wept with her and then we just said listen there's grace that is greater than your sin you're not under condemnation and Jesus will set you free from this if you'll let him and man the I watched the Lord restore her over the next few days and weeks and months and and she just took off and grew so much in the next few years she became such a vital part of this ministry so we have that kind of advocacy. Jesus is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He identifies with us. He feels what we feel, and he loves us with a never-ending, undying love. And when we fall down, he picks us up. I watched, uh, saw a highlight the other day from some marathon, you know, these big world marathons. Maybe it's Olympics. Maybe it's a Boston Marathon. I don't know. But anyway, a couple of Kenyan runners um, are nearing the finish line. And the guy that's about to win collapses, and literally he can't stand up. And you've probably seen something like this. I've seen several videos like this through the years. And he's just within feet of the finish line, and he can't get there. And his buddy, who's about to finish second, runs up and scoops him up and helps get him on his feet. And together they cross the line. But in that time, three or four other people cross. So they cross the line like fifth and sixth place. And I thought, man, that that's a picture of how Christ advocates for us. He picks us up in our in our time of need, no matter what's going by, no matter what's happening. And he he puts himself in the moment. That one runner that helped his friend, he put himself in the moment, and that moment was bigger than the race. Jesus is putting himself in the moment with you and with me. And we need to see him that way and be thankful that he's given us his Holy Spirit to guide us, to be a voice of advocacy and intercession and help. hope that's encouraging. And, uh, and I hope that, that um, not only does it encourage you, but it, 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 it overjoys you. It gives you joy and happiness and excitement to know the Lord the way that you know him. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Share it. Like it. Leave us a comment. It helps us to get feedback from you and, uh, and tell us what you'd like to hear about. We love getting requests and talking about them. So um, see you next time. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.